So if you have your Bible, I would love, um, or your app, or whatever mode you have, to read from the second chapter of the book of Corinthians, the, the second book of Corinthians, the fourth chapter. There we go. I, was, uh, I have just a few thoughts, and Brandon, they're just going to run across the screen. Um, coming in the week after Easter, uh, I just love this truth that we are a resurrection community. So happy Easter to that. That was bigger than you just amen, but I'm going to run with it. You're still amazed by the grace of Jesus. But we are a resurrection community, and we are thrilled to be a people of Easter. Our king always has one more move, by the way. And his next move after the resurrection was his church. And I believe that we are a people that are a part of his redemptive community. And so I believe fully that we can sit in this room and consider that we are also currently today a part of his next move. That he wants to use us for the glory of his name and the power of the confession of the resurrected Christ. And so we began to ask a question, how do we give people an assured proof of the resurrection? I have a, a friend of mine that's beginning a series this week in town um, on apologetical defense and running through one of my favorite authors. And so I looked at that and I had a little bit of hunger just to go worship with them for the next few weeks. And I thought of, of just this power that we are a resurrected people that we're a people who are gathered for the name of Christ that our God has a next move and I fully anticipate and I don't know where you landed in this but I came here worshiping and I came here expectant of meeting with the 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 people of faith and that God would be at work and moving among us I, I came here expectant that that he would have ideas that would birth in our hearts similar to what happened 18 years ago as I prayed through the video that would be shown this morning. I, I prayed that God would just bring us together as a redemptive community, as a people who have been restored into fullness of life in Jesus. I prayed that we would gather, and as we were singing just a moment ago, that the grace of Christ would truly amaze us. And then I prayed that there would be this, this proof of the resurrection among us as um, I have shared this before, but uh, as a disciple of Jesus shared with Dionysus in um, give or take AD 130, give or take about 10 years. So about 130 years after Jesus went and sat at the right hand of the Father, I, I believe as I have looked at this um, letter that was written from a disciple to Dionysus, I have um, come to understand that perhaps it is the first apologetical defense of the faith. It is the first writing that says, we don't give apology for Jesus. We give defense of who Jesus is and what he has done. And typically for me, that's really critical for me because when I was 19 years old, I read about four or five significant books and that was the bridge for my faith. I grew up obviously in a family who loved Jesus and I was a bit of a skeptic at 18 and 19 years old. And as I began to read evidence that demands a verdict in kind of that thick of a book and beginning to paint out who God is and what he had done, I began to look at historicity and I began to look at archaeological research and began to look at the prophecies about Jesus and his fulfillment of not most of them, but every single one. And I began to recognize that there is still a step of faith for me to embrace Jesus as the king of glory, but that faith gap really shrunk down where I just had to ultimately say, God, it's almost irrefutable. For me to look at who you are and not proclaim you as king of glory in my life. And 
a major moment of intellectual, practical, emotional, and spiritual transformation happened in my life at a camp at 19. I love apologetical defense. What I really fell in love with, with the disciple who said, do you want to see if the resurrection is real? Do you want to understand who God is and see what he is about? Do you want to understand the proof of Christianity? And here's his answer for this particular one, particularly in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And in fact, a small portion of this letter is coming up on the screen at this moment, I think. But it's written to say, here's the defense of the faith. Of course, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Come look at our church. Of course I can say to you that Jesus Christ is alive and I, I, I continue to um, wrestle with that as I engage with our fellowship. But I love what he said as he said, I can promise you if you will come in the midst of our body, you will find, if, as I read Acts 2, 42 through 47, or Acts 4, or Acts 7, or Acts 8, or as I read the New Testament church, I have no... Um, I have no qualms believing this because there was a passion, a boldness, a creativity, a robust faith. I love my sixth grader who is studying Roman culture right now and coming home and telling me about Nero. This week was our conversation. She gets off the bus, looks at me with wide eyes and says, Dad, did you know that Nero used to cover the followers of Jesus in wax and he would burn them at the stake as a celebration of his parties? And I said, yes, I did. And that's part of my transition of faith. That's part of who I am because of the power of the gospel, of the belief of the early church. And he said, look, if you want to know if Jesus is resurrected, it's great that you came at Easter. But if you really want to know, come hang out in the middle of the body of Christ. So would you say that if we were continuing to be a disciple, which most of us in this room are, that we would write an epistle to Dionysus or whoever your friend is that is... Um, far from God, and you would say to them, you know, if you really want to find Jesus, come sit with me at Mandarin. And if your answer is anything but a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10, what repentance must come about in this room, in your own personal life, in the life of your friendships in this room, and the life of us as disciples and followers of Jesus? Because I want to be able to sit in a faith community and engage with our neighbor because we have, again, strategically moved to a place where we build friendships and networks around us so that we can have conversations about Jesus. And I want to say to them, if you would just show up at this place, you would have no questions about the faith. That was 130 AD. Just saying, this is the church. It's beautiful, it's powerful, it's moving, and you would probably find yourself sitting in Jacksonville with 108 people groups and, and sharing the gospel with them. And oh, by the way, from January to March, 98 of those have come to know Jesus as Savior. That's what you would find. And but here's what's cool for us. That's just the norm. You should hear, you should hear his story. You should hear her story. You should hear the power of Jesus at work among us. So here's the epistle of Dionysus, actually the epistle of a disciple to Dionysus. Um, how do you know Jesus is raised from the dead? Come see his faith family. I began to just wrestle with that and pray through that and begin to read 2 Corinthians. And this is what we read last weekend. And so I just want to read again verses 14 and 15 of chapter 4. And then I want to read verse 11 of chapter 5. For we know that the one who raised Jesus... The Lord Jesus 
will also raise us with him. There is a hallelujah moment in your heart. For the one who resurrected Jesus from the dead will also raise you and I from the dead. So the reality is, we are a resurrected people in this room. We're a people of the resurrection. We have been made alive in and through Jesus Christ. And he will raise us with Jesus. And he will present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit. So that as grace extends more and more through through more and more people, it will cause thanksgiving and to increase to the glory of God. So here's what I think he's fulfilling is the letter to the, to, to the lost Dionysus to say, I want you to know that in our community, we are raised from the dead. And the more the grace of Christ amazes us, the more that you're going to find him attractive. And verse 11 of chapter 5 says, Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we are here to persuade people. We are here as an apologetical defense of the reality of the resurrected Savior. What we are is plain to God, and I hope that what we are is plain to your consciousness. And so the epistle of a disciple to the people that we love, and we as disciples, we would be saying, I want you to know that I have been resurrected in Christ and with Christ. And that's powerful. But when I get together with my friends and we begin to share this reality, there is this beautiful move of the powerful and mystical and profound nature of God that happens among us. And honestly, I'm praying this for us as a church, that as people come in amongst us, we are a persuasive people of the power of the resurrection. And that is just the norm of our body of believers. And so um, if you want to know that Jesus is raised from the dead, of course he is. Check out the church. We share in this extraordinary, I think, see from these verses, we share in this extraordinary passion to have a love for God is both real and personal. That's really what I'm praying for for our church is that what would center us and allow us to say, we are here out of the fear of the Lord. That is a great word for being in a love relationship with God. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Well, I won't get off this rant. I just really love that we love God and we like to sing of the love of God. I am longing for the days when we sing of the wrath of God and the fear of God and the longing of God and the holiness of God so that our hearts are shredded before God and we with trembling hands lift them. We don't just roll around and dance and say, we love you, Jesus. We tremble before the power of the living God. And then we come before him in a love relationship that is real and personal and we engage with him as if he is God and that we have no power or hope of the resurrection apart from him. And so we gather with him saying, oh God, we're in all of you. And perhaps the greatest worship we give at times is that you are God in heaven and we on earth are nothing. And so our words are few. Move within us, God. We love you with a love that is deep and real and personal. And we long to wait for you. We have this deep conviction among this body of believers that God alone is our sufficiency. That he is our supply. 
That he is our, our ability. That's what I believe that he is carrying on. If you read 2 Corinthians all of chapter 4 and all of chapter 5, you will begin to see Paul crying out. And this is powerful because he's crying out to a group of people who are living in moral brokenness. Exactly where we live today. And he's crying out for them with these treasures and jars of clay to demonstrate the resurrection of Christ because Christ is sufficient for them. And in a world that is, surrounds them in brokenness, they are standing in the midst of that saying, there is a healer, there is a hope, there is a promise. And if we could persuade you, just come among us. Come hang out with us. Be a part of who we are. And we will relentlessly wait upon the Lord because we believe He is our sufficiency. I see this pattern among the early church and I think it should be the pattern of our church that we wait and we abide and then we move and then we wait more and we abide and then we move because as you see the king's next move, you see that the king's next move was the instruction of a group of people to go and wait upon the Lord. And there was this sufficiency that came over them as they moved and waited on the Lord and he fell in spirit and in power. I I don't believe that the people were gathering in God's next move to birth the church to say, we think he's going to do something magnanimous among us. I believe that the joy of what they experienced as they waited and abided and then he moved, the joy was that God was their sufficiency. I don't think they would look back and say that Pentecost moment was, well, I think they would look back and say that Pentecost moment was amazing, but I don't think they would say that was penultimate. What they would look back and say was being in intimacy and love with Christ who brought his power to us. That was penultimate. That's what causes us to long to persuade men because this treasure has come to us in jars of clay and we wait. There is this constant pattern of intimacy in the early church. God, we wait for you. As we wait for the Lord, God, we, we will find renewed strength because we don't have strength in and of ourselves, but we hope and wait. And you will breathe your breath upon us. That's who we are. We're a people that relentlessly understand that God is our sufficiency and the manifestation of his power, it's beautiful. I mean, I truly could dance right now over what God has done through the International Learning Center. I could, I could hip-hop across this stage and be extraordinarily excited. And I came there thinking, God, that is a power of waiting, abiding, and moving. And I sat in a meeting with them this past week, and there continues to this day, 18 years later, to wait, abide, and then move again. And that's a pattern of the early church. And I, I, could, but I, I think that I long for us to come into this room and say, let that be the pattern of who we are. We long to persuade men. So we're going to wait for you, Lord. We're going to rest in you, Lord. We know that you are our sufficiency, Lord. And perhaps you will do something of such great magnitude that the winds will prevail. And this is what's beautiful, that 108 people groups will speak a common language of Jesus. That there will be a power among us, an authority among us, because, holy God, if we don't wait and abide and then move, we may never experience the power of the resurrection of the Spirit of God among us. And that's what we want to demonstrate to this world. We wait and rest, Lord, because we long to persuade men. And out of that deep conviction, 
There was birth unhindered preparation. There was a conviction of the people to say, God, will you love you? And you are our source. And out of that, there was extraordinary preparation on their part. They fasted. They prayed. They prepared. Pursued. Uh, can, can, you, can you picture this? Okay, so, so you've, you've just met. And you're the church. And let's just go with the pattern. We waited... We rested in God. We were crying out before him. And then all of a sudden, there was Pentecost. Okay, that's cool, right? Like, I don't know what if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're anything like me, I, have, I truly have goosebumps right now. Then there was Pentecost. So here's where my thought ran as I was preparing this message. Um, out of this idea that we're, we're not only going to believe you're our sufficiency, but we're going to prepare the way for that. Can you imagine their next prayer meeting? I've never had that thought before, as far as I know. I was just sitting and reading this text and thinking about persuading men and the fact that Jesus has resurrected us from the dead and this treasure is in jars of clay and it is given so that men and women around us might be persuaded that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And I was just sitting and thinking, what powerful moments for the church. And I thought, oh my goodness, They prayed again. Because, I mean, you see it throughout Scripture. They prayed and prison walls fell. They prayed and Peter walked out. They prayed and healings happened. They prayed and people were rescued. They prayed and people groups were birthed into the kingdom of Christ. They abided, they rested, they moved, and then they prepared again. And this idea that Jesus is resurrected from the dead and that you can see it in the midst of the faith community is born from the heart through and of which Jesus says was the greatest commandment to love God with your heart and soul and mind and strength and please don't put that as some icky song you sing to it means are you living this in a prepared manner I want to know in this body who's fasting today and what are you fasting for who is praying today and what are you praying for open your journal and tell me the first 15 names of people that you were praying for who is far from God but you long to bring near and we'll start talking about the the ministry and the power of demonstrated the resurrected Jesus. Until then, we're just kind of sitting around in here hoping something happens. And I am praying for a preparedness among this body where we are gathering and just look at one minute. I mean, you're losing weight. I can't tell you this, but I've been fasting for the last 43 days because I want the power of the resurrection. I can't tell you what I'm about, but I am saturated with the word of God. And if I talk, as Paul carries on in 2 Corinthians 5, if I talk and it makes sense to you, then it's from God. Most of the time, I am senseless in wonder before the living God. So I just, I'm curious, and I could run for days. What is the conviction of your heart? And if your heart is convicted about being a resurrection community, then what is our preparedness? I, just, I wrote down some thoughts as I was praying for this in my own life, for the life of this church. If we desire to be a people who lend proof and evidence of the resurrection, then what is our conviction? And if we're convicted, what is our preparation? Okay, so if you long for one of us to write a letter as a disciple to the, the friends of yours that you know need to know the Lord, and you long to say, come in the middle of us and you'll see Jesus. This is the most beautiful apologetical defense. It's the most beautiful demonstration that Jesus is resurrected from the dead 
If that is a longing of your heart, what is your conviction and what preparation are you giving for that to happen among this body of believers? If we long to live generously and to give graciously to the advance of God's name within this fellowship and that his name goes across the globe, then what is your conviction? What are you doing? This, this gets really practical. Like, what are you doing to free yourself from the constraints of debt so that you can be fully indebted to the advance of that which is eternal? This isn't vague, I want to be generous to you, Jesus. If you long to be generous, what are you doing to prepare your heart for generosity for the name of Jesus? I, mean, it, I was reading this week, uh, Cynthia, this is really awesome. Oh, did my Bible just drop? Because I really love my Bible. Just, just don't tell me it happened. I don't like it. Nothing sits on top of this. This is like sacred ground, and it can't be on the ground. S- Cynthia is studying social work at UNF, and she said, I have a textbook I want you to read. Now, that's never an exciting thought. I've been out of school for a while. And she gave it to me. This is the coolest book ever. I just, it's called The Dream Maker. It's just by a person who is living in the middle of third world countries. He's a social worker and just kind of changing the world. But I, I opened it and I had a single sentence. And if you follow me on social network, I posted this yesterday. But I have a single sentence that left me completely undone. Remember now, I've just asked this question. And so Susan, I'm asking this about us right now because this is messing with me. If I long to live generously and give graciously to the advance of God's name within this fellowship and across the globe. Here's what, here's what the, uh, the uh, missionary wrote. Thanks for all you do to help the poor. I just, I wrote, and I thought, I want somebody to write that to me, Jesus. Because I think you're about this. And so I, I'm wondering if, I, so I sat in my room and I was unfortunately preparing my sermon because sermons will mess with even the preacher, so you know that. And so I was going, okay, Mark, if you're going to cry over this and it's going to move your heart, what are you going to do about this? How are you going to spend differently so that somebody might write that in their book one day or they may not, but Jesus will. So I thank you for the social work textbook, Cynthia. I'm reading it now. It's good stuff. I I hadn't gotten past it. She asked me this morning, what chapter are you on? The inscription. (laughs) It's all I've read. I'm just going to ask a couple more questions and then preach. One third of my message, I think I've, I've shared enough because I want us to wrestle with this. If we long to be known as a people who love God greatly, that, that that love is real and it is personal, that it might cause others to rise up and take notice. What is our conviction? What is our preparation? Those two go together. Conviction is the assurance of the things that we hope for. Not that we're there yet. It is the conviction of things that we don't yet see. So what are you praying for? What convicts you? You don't yet see it, but you're, you're hoping in the Lord. And, I, and I, I, my favorite sentence to, to anyone I work with, so I think it's, I've shared this, but my favorite sentence also is, hope is not a strategy. So if that is your hope, what is your preparation? If, if we are a body of believers who love God and it's real and it's personal, what is our hope, our conviction? What is our preparation for this? 
If, if you're a, one of our senior saints, I wrote this several weeks ago in my journal, and you long to take the biggest heels. I was just honestly thinking of my father as I prayed for him. And you only be Caleb's in this world. Tell me, what is your conviction and what is your preparation? Because Caleb didn't just rise up at 85 and say, I want you to give me the biggest hills. I believe there was something that was born in his soul for 40 years that kept burdening him and he kept preparing the way so that when that moment hit, he was able to say, I want that hill. I see the biggest people. That's where I'm going. I have maturity about me. Let's go. What is your conviction? What's your preparation? If, if you long... This is my last one, and I'll just I'll stop and just ask this church this big question. If if you're praying for something for this fellowship, if we are to be a demonstrated reality of the resurrected Jesus, what's what's your conviction and preparation? That's my big question. If if you are praying to raise kids whose hearts are fully tuned to God, let me just ask this, and this is super fair. What is your conviction about that? And what's your preparation? I have been surrounded by parents for 25 years of ministry now, starting out as a student minister like Matt, just sitting in going, this is my passion, but I'm giving every penny and every moment to this. If the trophies that you want for your kids at 18 years old are eternal, then start giving them those trophies today. Pursue those things. Be passionate. I I want my kids to walk out of this world at 18 and say, the best years are ahead because I am going to game change for the kingdom of Christ. Does that work? Come and hang out with my kids. We are far from perfect. But I want to put the right parameters in life to say, as for me and our house, we are passionate about the things of Jesus. And you follow the trail of our possessions. You follow the trail of our time. You follow the trail of our energy. And you will find at the end of that, not a pastor who does a role, but you will find a passionate follower of Jesus who lives out a kingdom calling. That is my prayer before my children. If you long to raise children who are advancing the kingdom as long as they walk this earth and when they breathe, you have taught them their last breath. You've taught them how to die advancing the kingdom. Then do that today. What is your conviction and what is your preparation? I intended to end this feeling a little more happy than right now. And so I'm going to end it really happy right now. Here's, here's the happy part. We have this extraordinary treasure in jars of clay. And if you want to see the resurrected Jesus among us, you should come and look at the conviction and preparation of this church. You should come see what God is doing among us. There's this extraordinary power that is from God and not from us. Isn't that amazing? I'm reading scripture right now, so you can amen that. It's not me. You're amazing. I mean, we're, we've got some afflictions. We've got some things that are perplexing us. We are persecuted. We've been struck down at times. We carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus could be displayed in our body. So we live, and it's for Jesus' sake. Here we go again. I'll give you a shot. We live, and it's for Jesus' sake. Thank you. And we live, and we're, and we're given over to death at times, but it's for Jesus' sake. 
I believe and I speak. For here's what I know, that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and he will present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that grace extends through more and more people. It will cause thanksgiving to increase to God. So if you want to see the reality of the resurrected Jesus, come to our Thanksgiving fest. We have Easter and Thanksgiving every single time we get together. And then he says in verse 11, we do this so that we, because of the fear of the Lord, because we know how awesome he is, we persuade men and women and people. For what we are is very plain and clear to God. And I pray that what we are is very, very clear to you. There's no ambiguity. We are a people who live to demonstrate and defend the resurrection of Jesus. And do you want to see that? Then come hang out with us. We're convicted about this, and we are preparing for everything he wants to do among us. Yes, and amen. Praise you, Lord. Jesus, I pray that we would be able to close this service with your spirit just drawing us close to you, and, and then you speaking into our individual and our corporate hearts and in ways that could be only from you. And so, Jesus, we do love you and we praise you. God, I pray for a rising of ongoing conviction in our hearts and a rising of creativity from your spirit, a rising of, of a love relationship with you that is both real and deeply personal. God, I pray you would shatter us for our small vision of you. That honestly, Lord, you would spark within this church a fear of who you are. A recognition of your awesome power. An honest evaluation of your greatness and our lack thereof. And that you would stir up among us a people who are just crying out, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we're desperate and we need you. Jesus, we repent of who we are so that we might become who you are. The fullness of your life and character in us. And so Jesus, we're going to abide again. We're going to rest and in our resting we'll repent, we'll worship, we'll restore, we'll breathe in you, we'll fast and pray. And oh God, that you would fall again among your people. Carrying us to newness of life so that the resurrected Jesus might be made manifest again. Jesus, we love you.